And are you going to share it with us this morning? <laughs> Are you excited? <laughs> Is there anything you want to say about this? Okay. Matthew writes, <clears throat> Dear Lighthouse Church, as you prepare your hearts during the season of Advent, I want you to travel back in time when the story of Christ's child had yet to be told. The history of my people since Adam was a history of waiting for the Messiah. Over time, God gave us pieces of the puzzle. From the promise of redemption given to Adam and Eve in the garden, and all throughout history through the prophets, up until John the Baptist prepared the way in my day as a disciple. Over time, the puzzle pieces began to fall into place. As the oral traditions were shared, stories, prophecies, words given to Israel, words scribes wrote down. The promise of the Messiah became clearer through Israel's history as the nation lived and sinned and repented <laughs> and sinned some more. Our whole history was one of waiting. Understandably, not many realized the fullness of time had come, even when Jesus stared us right in the eyes, when the promise took on flesh and breath and life in the person of Jesus. Please, have sympathy for the unimpressed. Thousands of years of waiting, and then suddenly the Messiah was moving, kicking fetus in a teenage girl's womb. <laughs> Thousands of years of waiting, and all of a sudden God was running down the streets with the other neighborhood boys? I don't think so. A history of longing and needing a savior. And now he's buying spices in the market for his mother? A lifetime of praying for God's deliverance. And then God is walking throughout Judea with fishermen, a few zealots, and a tax collector? Hmm. It seemed ridiculous. It seemed impossible. It definitely wasn't what any of us had expected. Imagine my shock when I first heard the story of the Messiah, the one who showed his great power from heaven was a mere man the one who was supposed to finally establish God's kingdom, was perceived an illegitimate child, adopted by a carpenter from Nazareth. And so, as I write to you for this first Sunday of Advent, as you try to make sense of Christmas all these years after those strange and astonishing events, events that I first wrote about all those years ago, I want to remind you that our gospel, the good news, is a gospel of surprise. If you feel a bit baffled that the plan of God to save humanity was delivered in the form of a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, then you're in good company. You're not the first to be dazzled by the gospel of surprise. May the surprise of his coming, how it happened, 
and what it means for me and for you and for all of humanity stir in your hearts a fresh sensation of worship and wonder this Christmas. The peace of God be with you, your brother in Christ, Matthew. Amen. We're going to bless them, so stretch your hands towards them. God, we bless our children in the name of the Lord, that you would cause your face to shine upon them, that you would cause the gifts of God to just awaken and and be stirred in them like never before, that they would feel your love and your hand. I'm asking God for signs and wonders and miracles to rest in those rooms, that you would do impossible things as they come together and and become um, just stirred in the things of God. We just thank you, God, so much for what you're doing, that you would speak truth to them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Are you ready for the word? As I was reading this morning in the Gospel of Mark, it was the story of the the bread and the loaves multiplying. And the idea that God had compassion. And Jesus, as he stood there, he was like going to send them away. And, and he's like, well, I have compassion on them. And I love them. And, and as the word comes towards you today, he has compassion in, on you for whatever you're facing. And he has the bread of the word to come towards you today. And it can be multiplied. And I was thinking about that with great excitement, I guess, this morning as I was reading the story and thinking, how did it work? And I was thinking, did fish from the sea just start flying through the air and, like, multiplying? How did the bread start multiplying? How did it happen? And just stirring my idea of wonder and and, and imagination and faith. How did God do that miracle? Because sometimes we look at our situations and we look at what he spoke and we think, well, how is he going to do it? And I don't know how he did it because it doesn't testify how the bread got broken, kept multiplying, but there was seven baskets left over after he fed those 4,000. And there was fish left over and they all ate off of very little. And God has so much for you this morning as the word comes towards you. That you need to have like a basket sitting next to you thinking, okay, he's going to give me so much that when I walk out the doors, I'm going to have opportunity to give it away. That there's going to be a basket that's extra. That it's not just like it's just a crumb, but extra. There's extra for you this morning as the word comes towards you. The power of the word, changing your situations, moving miracles, doing the impossible. It says nothing is impossible for him who believes. And when you hear the word this morning, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So God, we prepare our hearts this morning to have our ears so attentive to your word with great expectation and hope of what you could do in the midst of our situations that causes us to have more than enough. That we could pour into our neighborhoods and into our communities, into the job places and into our families. That that there would be extra resource, God. That we could have so much as we listen to your word and our faith is stirred for the miraculous. God, we thank you for your word this morning. 
We thank you for the anointing on your word that can change everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow. That was quite a letter from Matthew, wasn't it? Yeah, that was really powerful. Pretty exciting to get letters from Matthew about Jesus. This morning, if you think about what Matthew said in his letter, it really is a gospel of surprise. It really is. It's so easy for us living in the 21st century to look back at the story of Jesus and think of all the things that happened and seemingly understand everything because we're removed from the situation from those who lived in the first century. From the very first time it was prophesied in Genesis, Genesis 3.15, says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. From that very first one all the way up through the prophets to John the Baptist, when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The message was clear. Oh, Messiah is coming. The Jewish people didn't fully understand the message that the prophets gave him. There was some confusion. They were pretty much clueless as a people, if you look at it. You know, they understood a little bit here and a little bit there. But they really had no idea what the Messiah came to do or how he came to do it. In the words of Matthew this morning, he said, I write to you this Advent season as to make, as you try to make sense of Christmas all these years after those strange and astonishing events, events which I first wrote about years ago. I want to remind you that our gospel is good news. It is a gospel of surprise. If you feel a bit baffled that the plan of God to save humanity was delivered in the form of a, form of a baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, then you're in good company. You're not the first to be dazzled by the gospel of surprise. And then he closed by saying, may the surprise of his coming, how it happened, and what it means for you and for me, for all of the world. Stir your heart with a fresh sensation of worship and wonder this Christmas. It very much was a gospel of surprise when he came. But what about us? What about us? Are we really surprised? I've been a Christian for, I counted yesterday, I think, 51 years. That's a long time. And I don't know about you, but I am still surprised at the gospel. I'm still surprised at the good news. I'm surprised and I'm in awe that the God of the universe, the, the, the one that has all power and authority, the one who made the stars and hung the planets, that the God of the universe, the one who's Lord of lords and King of kings, that this God would love me enough to send his son to die for me. In Acts chapter 2, we read verses 22 through 24. <clears throat> it says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, to you by miracles and signs and wonders, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves even know, him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God. Taken by lawless hands, you have crucified him and put him to death. <clears throat> but God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible 
that he should be held by them. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? This God, this awesome, incredible, wonderful God, loved me enough to send his son to die for me. And I think about the heart of the son, because he was involved, I think. In Hebrews chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 9, it says, and then Jesus said, God, I will be the one to go and to do your will. So by being the sacrifice that removes sin, he abolished the animal sacrifice and replaced the entire system with a new covenant. Yeah. By God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, I am surprised that we who are dead, who are enemies of God, we were loved by God. Can you imagine that? I mean, if you think about somebody who is your worst enemy, that's just terrible to you, and you loved him. That's what God did. It says in Romans 5, 6, For when the time came, it was right that the anointed one came to die to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, help, weakless. Did I get this right? Help who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless. Got it. To save themselves. Hmm. Romans 5, 8 then goes on and says, But Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were lost and still ungodly. God brought us to life, but that's not all. He forgave us, but that's not all. Justified us. He took away our sin. He didn't just say, I forgive you for what you did. He erased what we did. It's just like you've never sinned now. God has justified you. And not only that, he gave us the righteousness of Christ to be ours. He took our sin and we became his righteousness. Wow. And I'm surprised. I'm in awe at the wondrous good news that God gave us. I like, this is one of my favorite passages of scripture. In Luke chapter 2 verse 9, it says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, said to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Hmm. That's the best news we could ever get. Bar none. The best news. I mean, when the, when, the, when the angel announced, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people, that's the, it's one of the premier sentences of the Christmas story. I wish I'd have been there and heard the angel say it. I can imagine the emotion with which he shouted that news. It had to be one of the best lines in the whole story. Wow. I'm surprised, and I'm in awe, of the family that God made me part of. Listen to the wonder of this passage. In Galatians 3.26, it says, You have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus, the Anointed One. It was faith that immersed you into Jesus 
the anointed one, and now you are covered and clothed with his anointing. And then a little bit later in Galatians, he says in chapter 4, verse 6, so that we would know for sure that we are his true children. This is so you know for sure God released his spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're my true father. Now we are no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's own children, his own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything that the Father has for your heirs of God through Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Wow. I mean, let that just grab a hold of you a second. You're a child of God. He didn't just redeem you. He didn't just save you. He didn't just make you righteous. He made you a child of his. In Romans 14, 8, 14, he says it this way. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance. You have the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. You will never feel orphaned. For he rises up within us as our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers in our innermost beings, into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all of his treasures. For indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We experience being co-glorified with him provided we accept his sufferings as our own. To be an heir of someone means you get everything they had. If I was an heir of my great uncle, everything my great uncle had would be mine when he died. But Jesus died. And so the inheritance is yours now. Everything he has is yours. That's awesome. Hmm. I'm surprised and in awe at the wonderful place, the incredible position and place that God has called us to. In Colossians chapter 1, it says, Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given us by living in the light. He has rescued us completely from the, from the tyrannical rule of darkness. And he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. For in the son all our sins are canceled. And we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Think of it. We live in a superior position. A superior kingdom. Not someday in the future, but right now. We live in a kingdom that's supernatural. Powerful. It supersedes the natural kingdom. And everything that's in it. His kingdom. It's so, so wonderful. And then 
There's not just now, but there's eternity. Hmm. And a little bit later in Colossians, it says, living with you is Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. The hope of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes the heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. It's incredible, isn't it? Incredible. The glories of his kingdom are so great. Paul said it this way, I can't even express it. I can't even talk about it. I can't even tell you how awesome the kingdom God made for us is. The, the Bible talks about streets of gold, gates of pearl, the presence of God. Wow. Both now and in the future, God has so much planned for us. And I'm surprised in it all at the unbelievable gift that he has given us. The Holy Spirit. The very presence and power of the third person of the Trinity lives within us. He lives within us. In Luke 24, 49, Jesus said, I'll send the fulfillment of my Father's promise to you. So stay in the city until the mighty power of heaven falls upon you and wraps around you. Acts 1.8 says, But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. I like what that says. You'll be seized with power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, in verse 13, Because of him, when you who are not Jews heard the revelation of truth, you believed this wonderful news of salvation, and you have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Think of it. When, when Paul was thinking about the Holy Spirit, he was writing this, he was thinking about all that the Holy Spirit does. He is our comforter, the revealer of truth, our prayer partner, our helper, our strength, our power to witness, our guide, the revealer of mysteries, everything we need. He's our teacher. He's the fire that burns within our hearts. Paul said, that's just the first installment of what's coming. In verse 14, he said, He is given to us, the Holy Spirit is given to us like an engagement ring. As the first installment of what's coming. If the first installment is the Holy Spirit, we'll look out. The rest is going to be awesome. Amen? Amen. He is our hope promise of future inheritance, which seals us until we have all redemption's promises and experience complete freedom for all, this, all for the supreme glory and honor of God. Wow. And I'm surprised and in awe at the complete access that God has given us to his throne. In the Old Testament, nobody except the high priest got to go into the presence of God. And he only got to go in once a year, and that was with fear and trembling, it said. Because he never knew for sure what was going to happen. They tied a rope around his leg in case the unthinkable happened and they could pull him out. Because if he perished in there and someone went in to get him, it was curtains for them too. 
But in Romans 4, I mean, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Come boldly to the throne. Come boldly. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, the writer goes on, he says, Therefore, brethren, we have obtained boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a, new, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. So many things to be surprised for. Incredible what God has done. You, uh, the longer I read the word, the more times I read it, the more wonder that I have at what God has done. What God has given. What God has provided. What God has called me to. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16, it talks about the powerful love that God has bestowed on us. He said, I pray that he would unveil within you the unlimited riches of glory and favor with supernatural strength until it floods your soul, floods your innermost being with his divine might and explosive power. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside of you and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Then verse 18, it says, then you will be empowered to discover what every Holy One experiences, the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ in all of its dimensions, how deeply intimate, how far-reaching is the love, how enduring and inclusive is it, endless love beyond measurement that transcends our very understanding. This extravagant love pours into you until you are filled to overflowing with the fullness of God. I can't even imagine that verse, much less writing that verse. Power of it. There's so many. We could go on and on and on and make this list really long. We could stay here for a couple hours or more. Because God has given so much. So much. We could talk about the joy that he's given us. We could talk about the peace that he's given us. We can talk about the righteousness that he's given us. We can talk about the promises of God. Every promise God gave is yes, he said. In verse 20 of chapter 1 in 2 Corinthians, he said, for all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. To the glory of God by us. But I want to close with one final thought. That I'm surprised and awed, at. And that's, the chapter in the Bible that scales the heights of God's heart toward us. And that's Romans chapter 8. You probably know this chapter by heart, don't you? So powerful. When it comes to the 8th chapter of Romans, even wordsmiths are at a loss for words. There's not many adjectives to do justice to what God says in this verse, in this passage. Theologian and pastor John Piper, he calls the 8th chapter of Romans the greatest chapter in the Bible. 
Martin Luther called it the clearest gospel of them all. William Tyndale said who was, he was martyred for translating the Bible in English. He called it the most excellent part of the New Testament. Douglas Moo, a seminary professor, said, it's the inner sanctuary in the cathedral of the Christian faith. Mark Batterson and the East Coast pastors had always thought of it as the if chapter. The 10 ifs in Romans 8 add up to infinite possibilities. It's Michelangelo's David. It's like Leonardo's Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. It's like Beethoven's Fifth Symphony. It's like Lincoln's Gettysburg, Gettysburg Address. Romans 8 starts out big. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you hear me? No condemnation. No condemnation. And then it has a finish that's so powerful. In verse 38 and 39, he said, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, present or future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right in the middle of the book, in the chapter, he crosses the Brooklyn Bridge of the Bible, if you would. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. There's so many subplots in that chapter. I think about the, the like a mountain, you know, I kind of drew a um, peak in a mountain. And I was looking at the verses and I thought, there's no condemnation and there's no separation. We cry, Abba, Father, there's, there were more than conquerors, that, that we're heirs of God and that there's intercession for us by Christ. There's prayers of the Holy Spirit and there's justification by God. There's all things work together for good and all things are free to us. And it's capped by the verse 31. It's the mountaintop. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? The answer to that question is obvious. No one. Because God is for you. He is for you. It's a game changer. And once you settle that issue, everything falls into place. If you have subconscious doubts about God's good intentions, they might manifest in a thousand forms of fear. But if you believe with every fiber of your being that God is for you, a future that is bright awaits you. It is It's more than surprising. It's just plain shocking what God has done for his people. May the love of God fall all over you again. May your pulse quicken as you turn the pages of his book. I hope you start reading today and, and can never stop. Don't put it down. It's life changing. So here you have it. I'm surprised that I'm in awe of the greatness of God's actions toward me, toward you. And it's good news for all people everywhere, just like the angel told us. Remember again what Matthew said at the closing of his letter. He said, that made the surprise of his coming, how it happened, and what it means for you and me and for everyone in the world. Stir your heart with a fresh sensation of the worship and wonder this Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we are so 
This morning, as we just as we listen to your word, it just reminds us so much of the of the greatness of your plan, of the magnitude of what you've done. You took us who are dead, who are enemies, who are slaves, to sin, and you set us free. You called us into your family. You filled us with your Holy Spirit. So incredible. You gave us your love, your joy, your peace. We don't even have words to describe how blessed we are. We love you and we thank you so much for what you've done. We truly are and will remain forever surprised at what you're doing because it is so good, so good. Bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. Let's stand together. May you never, never lose the surprise in your heart at what God has done. Incredible. Everything he's given us, everything he's done for us. May we have a continuous, fresh sensation of worship and wonder at what Christ did. Put your hand in your heart this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you, lift up his countenance upon you, and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. There'll be people up for a prayer if you want to come. Otherwise, go in his grace today. Amen.